Hello, everybody. How are you? We are going to do Justice League tonight. I hated that intro, and I just don't care anymore. <laughs> it was fucking bad. That was... You're better than that, Mike. You're want so me, much better. Want me to start over? No, no, no. I no, think you just, need to you, you need to learn from it. Shame. <laughs> You're sitting in the shame. For shame! Okay. <laughs> we're the, we're the, we're the, the, uh, the, the hat of shame or whatever they call it. Yeah. The cone of shame. The cone. I envisioned, like, Betty White on that one. What did you get out of it? Betty White. Betty White. <laughs> Dude, why didn't they lock her in a bunker right when COVID happened? <laughs> to protect her. Like, that should have been first priority, right? Dude, oh. Shatner just turned 90, and he's still writing bad albums. <laughs> Dude, my son loves him. My son Kendrick, he loves William Shatner. Yesterday like when, was talk like Shatner Day. Oh, God. I, or I, uh, two days ago. Just like, when you, I actually played one of his albums for him, and he, he just loves it because it's just so stupid. And... I wonder, like, does Shatner take it seriously because he's been doing it for so long, or or does he still know it's funny and he just does it because he likes to do it, or is it all of the above? I don't, I don't know. Um, Shatner's a kind of hard guy to crack. Yeah. I, I, he takes everything seriously. It seems like, yeah. And but he has fun with it, you know. Yeah, I want to go. I want to. I want to know about these parties. Like Henry Rollins was on Joe Rogan, and he talked about going to Bill Shatner's annual party, certain certain party he has, and just these this weird rogue collection of people, celebrities and stuff, show up there, and it's just so interesting. He said he just he was more than he goes he goes beyond expectations. Well, Are we just the fact Captain that Kirk? fucking yes. Henry Rollins shows up to a William Shatner party, and they've been friends for like twenty years. Yeah. Yeah, it's so I always have to go immediately to the darkest parts of things. And didn't his wife dive into the swimming pool and break her neck? Yes. And then they were like, and the toxicology report said, forgot about that. Yeah, multiple cases of barbiturates, cocaine, Jack Daniels. Basically, he was partying with John Denver right before that happened. Yeah. And then so he comes home and finds her. Uh, that's the report. The other report was that he was involved with it because he was like some, an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard multiple. It's always you never you only certain people know. Select few know. Just like with Natalie Wood, yeah. going over the side of the boat, you know. Uh, and the only person that's alive that knows about that is Christopher Walken and Bob Wagner. He's still alive. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he's still fucking alive, dude. Can anyone here do the Christopher Walken impression? I can't. Even I can get do a little bit. To it. No. I can do a little bit. Let me hear it. The, wow. The guy that does the voice for um, Obi Wan Kenobi on uh, Clone Wars. That actor. Uh, he's three names. Uh, he's got three names. James Arnold Taylor. Yes. You're going back to the, to the he's documentary. On the, oh, he's on the blockbuster. Yeah. And so... You fucking nailed it. Um, he does Christopher Walken fucking dead on. I mean, every mannerism. It's amazing. Um, James Well, Morris. I, I got to talk to you about Walken. That's pretty good. They're kind of fast. <laughs> <laughs> I can do a little. Mow. But then it, yeah. the problem when I'm doing walking wow. is that it ends up morphing into something else. I end up mor- morphing into like Woody Allen or some yeah. shit. And it's, yeah, it's just. That's like when I do math McConaughey. Yeah, it's, it's all about practicing. So I don't practice it. So I'm not, I'm not pro, you know, proficient at it. Right. So but, it's always hard to be put on the spot, too. And it's also, I've learned like there's certain voices I can do. And then there's only some voices that I'm only good enough to do when I'm hearing it. So like if I'm watching. Like when my kids used to watch uh, Nickelodeon and stuff like that, I could actually mimic voices when I'm hearing them because I can hear the different tones in the voice and levels, and I can mimic it then. But then if I but if I try to recall a voice and do it, a lot of times I cannot. It's um yeah, but it's it's training. It's so for me being a novice, not bad. But not bad at all. But yeah, if I had actually put time and effort into that shit, me, I think it's one of the hardest ones. You to never do. know. Pacino, Pacino's kind of hard <laughs> to do. 
Yeah, because he... he you, it depends on which Pacino. Yeah, you want to caricature him. The, the problem with Pacino is that, no. yeah, it's, it's like you want to go into a, a character. Who um, you know, oh, He's got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great ass. See, yeah. I can't get it. But if, I was at, I. but if I was at home by myself and yeah. I had a couple drinks, I, 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 would, I, I would figure it out. I just brought up... I, I had my... Um, I'm watching all of Seinfeld with my son and... Cause he's never seen Seinfeld. And so, so every once in a while I'll stop it. And I'm like, well, we have to watch a movie that's re- that Seinfeld's going to make fun of because otherwise you're not going to understand the context of it. Right. So we're coming up on the Schindler's list episode where Jerry's making out with his girlfriend during Schindler's list in the theater and Newman catches them and he fucking rats him out. So I wanted him to see Schindler's list beforehand. So we watch Schindler's list and my son is fucking bawling at the end of the movie. The whole, the two people, this pin, two people, you know, <laughs> I could have done more. And so I told him, I said, you, you would know that fucking he did not win the Oscar for that. He lost the Oscar for that to Al Pacino to, for playing a blind Marine who goes to, to Jethro Tull. I have never seen Schindler's List and I've mm-hmm. never seen any of the Godfather. Films. Well, you said you have a short attention span. So if you, I'm pretty sure that if you tried to watch Schindler's List, you'd probably. No, I watched, <laughs> uh, what, what was the fucking one with Kevin Costner that goes on for like eight Dances days? Dances with oh, I watched God. that the po- shit. There's the Postman. There's Wyatt Earp. Yeah. Waterworld. I love Wyatt. I fucking love Tin Waterworld. Cup. <laughs> that was my biggest. Jif- fi- that There's was my Jif- biggest fear yeah. with Snyder Cut is like, how many months am I going to need to get through this? You know what? I've Four. watched it twice. I've watched Snyder Cut twice now. and You spent eight hours watching that, Drek. And here's the problem. My biggest problem with that movie is I don't get the feels. When you watch a fanboy movie, which is any comic book movie, you got, if it doesn't give you the feels, then you're never going to fully appreciate it for what it is. The problem with the Snyder movies are, no matter how much effort he puts into visuals and things like that, if he don't do things right and give me those fanboy feels, I that it's a lo- it's a loss. So a movie as big as Snyder Cut, I watched it twice because I even though I didn't have too many expectations because I already knew what I was probably going to get, I still have some expectations. I still have the wishful thinking, which is I want this to be awesome because Superman and Batman are the greatest superheroes ever, and and. And yet, fucking Warner Brothers DC keep fucking it up. They habitually keep fucking it up. You know, Marvel has a simple formula and they're following it to a T. And 95% of the time, it's working out great. Okay. Yeah. And DC is just trying so hard to mimic it instead of doing it properly, giving it the proper justice that they're fucking it up. Yeah. Pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have wishful thinking with Justice League, with Snyder Cut, even though Snyder's already, he was okay with Man of Steel. He wasn't great, but he was, he showed promise with Man of Steel. And then Batman V, Batman V Superman, which is, it's fucking seven movies in one. It's too many things. You, you take, they took too many special iconic moments from that, those comics and crammed it into one fucking film. And that's what ruined it. And so that right there told me, okay, well, is this also Zack Snyder's fault? Or is it also Warner Brothers' fault for trying to catch up to Justice League? So that now you have something that's competitive with the Avengers. Well, right. then they had Suicide Squad and yeah, Birds well, of Prey and all this other nonsense. Yeah. But the, I liked... So I watched half of it until HBO crapped out on me because yeah, too many people the, were trying to watch day, it. That first day, it was I had a lot of problems with the crapping out. And I gave it a couple of days and it was still crapping out. But I enjoyed this movie much more than I liked the Joss Whedon. Oh, now, yeah. I have a problem with Joss Whedon anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on top of the fact that his fucking head looks like it's expanding. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, he looks like the leader, if you know who the leader is. I don't. It, when you're watching the Hulk and the the uh, super soldier serum or the Hulk blood drips into that guy's head and it gets really gigantic, you know? Uh, I can't remember who it's played by. It's the dude that played Buster Scruggs. Yeah, it's um. Uh, he's also got three names as well. Not Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> That's what popped into my head. It's not Harry Dean Stanton either. Are I know. We, it's fucking... Are we talking the Netflix Cohen Brother movie that came out? Or yeah. Am I confused? No, no, yeah, but the, the guy gunslinger played, guy. Yeah, the guy that played That's Buster Scruggs was? was in. I was couldn't in the get Hulk. into the Hulk movies. Uh, what the Lou Ferrigno ones? <laughs> uh, any of them. So yeah, there's um. Um, Why the fuck won't it let me? I hate it. There he is right there. So that's, yeah, that's leader. Okay. Tim Blake Nelson. That's That's the actor's name. See, it's sometimes, it's right before you show me the name. That's when it pops into my head. You got to see the face. So it's Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, he's. So he played the leader. So, but essentially that's what's happening to Joss Whedon's fucking forehead right there. Yeah, I I think it it also could possibly be an optical illusion. It's kind of like when they say that your fingernails and hair grow after you die. They keep growing. They don't. Your body is dehydrating, so your skin is shrinking. Look at his head. So it actually Look. gives the illusion that your nails and hair you are just ruined it for me. I, yeah, I know someone ruined it for me too. Fucking enormous dome. You could put the entire team of the Toronto Blue Jays in there and play a fucking. I think. World see how you have game. the lines on the forehead. I think he gets an extra line for every movie he does because it adds to his ego. It inflates it. Look at that. His head is outside of the camera shot. I think also though it's like. <laughs> Fucking, they can't get him in frame. <laughs> it's like I, I, fucking so, yeah. They got him like on steady cam, and yeah. it's still not so, working so out. I He's believe, got Peyton Manning head. <laughs> I believe realistically, it's just because his hair is getting receding more and more further back, well, so it's creating the illusion. Is no, because bigger. they had to make his picture smaller. See David Boreanaz. <laughs> They had to make his picture smaller because his head's too large to fit in that fucking little square. Look at that, see? And that other dude's got like inches of hair growing out of the top of yeah, his head. Yeah, David Boreanaz. I mean, that's got to be four inches of hair growing out of the top of his head. Is descending down to his eyebrows. Right. I, I think he's got a weird comb over. He's got a comb downer. Comb downer. Comb yeah. forward. <laughs> so, so you didn't? You yeah. haven't watched the Snyder Cut at all. No, but you brought up a, a kind of a thing that uh, Mike and I touched on when I first got here before we uh, got on the microphones. And that is when I was growing up and I was reading comic books and it was mostly graphic novels, I was veering towards DC. Yeah. And I was getting the most fulfillment out of Batman and the Joker and that whole dynamic yeah. and things like that. More more adult themed comics. Graphic yeah. novels, Arkham Asylum. Uh, well, I've got... Uh, yeah. The, the Dark Knight Returns 1, 2, and 3. Uh, the Killing Joke. Yep. Things of that nature. Yeah. Dark Joker. And then, uh, and I didn't give a fuck about anything Marvel. I didn't care about Spider-Man. I didn't know who the fuck Iron Man was. Mm-hmm. The Hulk. All that other side of I was like, I just walked past that shit in the store, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Incredible Hulk was always my favorite growing up. You know, I was I was obsessed with the TV show. Yeah, it was the Bill Bixby. Yeah, the little yep. piano, man. The fucking piano is just... Uh, I did watch the Spider-Man. Spider-Man yes. cartoon as a kid. Do, 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 do. Yeah, but, I, I love Spider-Man too. So. My point is, is then in like 2009, I think the first Iron Man came out. Is that right? 2008. Summer 2008. 2008. And yep. my buddy Brian was like, you got to watch this movie Iron Man. He's like, you're going to love it. And I was like, well, that's like in the, we weren't calling things the canon yet, but I was yeah. like, that's Marvel, Dude, right? the trailer, the trailer for Iron Man came out as an Easter egg on the Transformers DVD. Uh-huh. And you had to find it. You had to find it as an Easter egg hidden when they used to do that shit on DVDs. It was fun to find shit. Right. And it was hidden on there and I found it because Paramount for a little while had rights into Iron Man. 
And then Disney, because Disney hadn't fully purchased Marvel yet. So that's why Paramount had their stamp on there as well with Disney. And um, but the the trailer, I mean, fucking was amazing. The teaser for it, like that already hooked me. Yeah. Because they were they they started getting really, really good at doing trailers for, for getting you hyped for movies. And that trailer did not disappoint like at like all. Thor Ragnarok? Oh god. How many times of, did we fucking watch that? Oh my god. Thor Ragnarok was probably the one of the greatest trailers ever fucking made. I mean, you you, you, have, you do you recall it? No, but I did see Ragnarok. Oh, <laughs> I mean, this will have to be edited out for the because of the sound. You know, we can't have the sound on the. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, my point is, I'm getting more enjoyment out of the Marvel canon than I am because of... it's done right. That's yeah. the they, they. And I mean, to the point where I forget their comic book movies sometimes. Yeah. Now I know what you're thinking. How did this happen? That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. It still gives me the chills. Gives me me the fucking chills, man. I love it. And I've seen this movie a hundred times. They knew when to have the music lower, and then they knew when to build it back up. It just, yeah, yeah it was one of the greatest trailers ever made. Yeah, and if you listen to the song while it's while the visuals are going on, every beat of the song is is right on. So like when he says, you know, Hammer of the Gods, and it shows Thor, and then Valhalla, and it shows the Valkyrie and stuff like that. So the way that they set the the, the song up tells the story of Thor Ragnarok. 100%, which is amazing. See, and that, that showed, that's one of the, another example of how the people that are making these films, it shows the love that they have and the appreciation for what they're doing. There you go. And there's, that's the difference between them and, and DC is that even though Zack Snyder, he loves, he loves, you know, DC Comics. You can tell that he wanted to make it good, but he still doesn't get it. And Warner Brothers doesn't get it. They don't get it more than anything. Like, I don't even know how much they got in the way of, of creative control with him. But he also wasn't one of the writers. He did. I think that Zack uh, Snyder did story ideas, but he didn't do actual screenplays. I couldn't tell you. All I know. Look, I think that this is a much better. I mean, oh, it's way more coherent. I'll tell you that. This shit. is a much better movie. 
um, than than Joss Whedon's. You could see the difference. Like I I was watching some stuff. It was the Flash. It was the Flash part mm-hmm. where Superman is fighting Wonder Woman, Cyborg, and whoever. Yeah, Aquaman. Aquaman yeah. And Flash comes running around him, and he <laughs> and he throws he throws the other three away, yeah. and he turns, and Flash is like, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah. Right? He's got that look in his eye, like, <laughs> "How is he able to see me?" Yeah. See, yeah. And they get into a fight, and it shows side by side comparison from from Whedon's cut and his cut, Zack Snyder's cut, and they would cut out parts like every time there was a missing sequence from Whedon's cut, like the parts that he cut out, it expanded the story. Like that little fight scene expanded by, it was like 30 seconds, maybe a little bit more, but it was much more involved. I wanted to, I was watching it. I was just like, why the fuck did he cut this out when that was actually kind of interesting to watch? Superman versus Flash in a race is supposed to be one of the most epic things that ever happens in the comic book. And it was it happened at the end of the Joss Whedon cut, okay, the version, because he added that in. He refil- he shot that for that for that movie, and it I don't I didn't even remember it happened until I watched the comparison of those with the Snyder cut. I forgot that scene was even in the movie. That's how bad they fuck up with DC stuff, okay? Because I know him, he fucking loves Flash versus Superman because he's talked about well, it. I like Flash, but yeah, but you but you love talking about how Flash can beat Superman. Flash is actually more powerful than Superman. Flash is actually the most powerful being in the DC universe. Yeah. I, I saw something, because my buddy Travis, and he's like, the Incredible fucking Hulk. And if it's not the Incredible Hulk, then fuck you. And he's like, last night I read that the Incredible Hulk. It's and, But he came to me one day, he's like, I read something last night that said that the Flash... And I I heard another thing. It's like way 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 near the top, right? Right. I also heard another thing one time. They were like, Supergirl doesn't have the restraint, uh, or Superwoman. Is that what it is? Wonder Woman, or no? I'm talking like uh, the the girl version of Superman. Supergirl, yeah, doesn't have the restraint that Superman has, and therefore more powerful. She's like a baby rattler. Well, because she <laughs> comes from. Depending on which what you read and and uh, what uh, 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 content that they're pulling from, yeah, the new fifty two or earlier, yeah, she comes from another unit. Well, in some cases, she comes from another universe, like on the show, right? Kara L, that's her name, and she doesn't have the same ideologies that Clark has, which means that he was she wasn't raised by Earthlings. She was raised by Kryptonians, so she has a sense of superiority, like Zod. Like so she has to race. learn, yeah. right? She has to learn all that stuff and be and learn humility and compassion. And exactly. So depending on which version that they're using, like she's still from another. Either she's either from the uh, the uh, the Glass City. I can't ever remember the name of that. Or she's from. You, I, I Come don't on, know, Joe. What is know, it? I don't know. You're the gonna name you're gonna fall down on this one. I, Fuck. I don't know the name Let's of the city. Out. It might be one of those. Once he pulls it up, then it's gonna be. Yeah. Uh, see, I. Candor. She may be either from Candor or she's from Krypton, or depending on how you see it. So, anyways, <clears throat> with with her being that way. When she comes to Earth and he starts to... It's, in fact, uh, they just released Superman animated on uh, uh, Max. HBO Max. So, the complete collection. Oh, yeah. we, uh, Me and my, my sons, we've watched like the first... Uh, th- the three-part intro uh-huh. episode. Yeah, we watched those so far. So, so, let me let me try to surmise what you're saying here. Let me sum this up. You're saying Superman's like a baby boomer and she's like basically a Gen Xer. Yeah. 
Essentially. So, yeah, she comes with all these ideas of how it should be and how it is or versus how it is. And Superman's no like, hey, that's you can't do this because these people are not like us. So therefore, you need to respect what is here. And she doesn't understand that until months or years later. But like when you have like um, there was a series like Kingdom Come. That was done by Alex Ross. I absolutely read that graphic novel. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it was brilliant. Yeah. she And she has that superiority complex where she's just like, fuck everybody, you know? That was a great book. And like what you were saying earlier, you'll watch a movie and they'll pull like one line out of that book, out of a book like that. Yeah. And they'll just throw it in there. Yeah. It like just... it's like they're throwing some seasoning and some mashed potatoes. And I, it would seem that that drives you <laughs> it's, crazy. It's, I don't like cheap validation. You know, it's like um, um, uh, when Mike and I have talked uh, plenty of times about Star Wars novels where someone will throw in a line like Nerf Herder on purpose, you know, just so that they can make themselves validated that they're doing Star Wars or something, right? Or, oh, you're, oh, look, he's a scruffy looking nerf herder. It's like, dude, what the fuck? You don't need to say it. It's already been said, right? Right. So, yeah, it's. So for me, uh, Alex, the way that Alex Roth does his artwork, because it is so much almost like, can I describe this? It looks real. It looks like something you'd really, it looks like something you'd really hope to see. Right. That's what it is for me. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Um, like, how much time does it take for him to draw one thing? Is what I wonder about that, you know. And then he has somebody else that's coloring it all in. No, he does it all. Oh, he colors it in too. Yeah, he does everything. I think there's a documentary on him as well. Yeah, you can go right to his website. But he did Kingdom Come, and then he did uh, the Marvels. And the Marvels one is he took scenes from all the classic comics. Like the uh, the uh, Spider-Man number one, where he's in the glass tube, you know, or maybe number three or whatever it is. And you see the Fantastic Four flying around. And you have, you have uh, uh, the uh, Johnny. Johnny Storm. Yeah. You have him flying around the glass, this, this glass elevator. Um, you have iconic scenes and, and covers. And throughout the entire process, what you see is you see like, like a couple of guys that are always there and they're reporters. Like Peter Parker's taking pictures and whatever else, but these guys are reporting on it. So the whole storyline is based off of these humans, these reporters that are watching this unfold. Mm -hmm. So when you have Galactus come and the Fantastic Four fights him, the the reporters are there. When you have uh, the Hulk, you know, show up in New York, and then you have all these other characters that are around. And that's pretty amazing that they were able to take that story (laughs) and give it a new perspective. And it's the same story that you've read a hundred times if you know all the old Marvel stuff you know all the old number ones and threes and, and this and that the original silver edge yeah and then he did the joker and then he did when this i and saw that. that that i was yeah. done i was like you nailed it for me that was it you know what i mean yeah what, what, what drives me nuts about dc warner brothers is also the fact that they've got the money and they've got the fan base because if you see how loyal the fans are there's so many people that think that Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder's vision, he walks on water. He's fucking Jesus, okay? He can do no wrong. They will they will defend anything that he's done and anything affiliated with it to to the death, okay? So the fan base is there. Warner Brothers, I mean, look look what they did with uh, look what uh, Disney did with Marvel Studios. Okay, they put the right person in place and then he put the right people in place to do it, right? And so there was a plan and that plan, look how long it took to do the Infinity Gauntlet saga, right? The Infinity Saga, you had to build it up slowly but surely, and they fucking did it. It was a huge risk, and it paid off 
more than tenfold. It paid off Uber, right? But DC could have done the same thing because it's there. The fans are there. They've been there for decades. So it, it, it that's what's so frustrating about it. I'm not even a huge DC fan. I'm a more of a Marvel guy than I am a DC guy. But I give credit where credit is due. And like I said, in my opinion, even though I love Marvel more than DC, Superman and Batman, they're at the top. Fucking, they're always at the top. And you have the greatest superhuman and the greatest non-superhero human right there next to each other, hand in hand, right? And it's so simple to do them justice by following along the storyline. You want to make little deviations here and there? It's fine. It gives a little change up, spice things up, fine. But when you do something like where you take the Doomsday storyline, which is fucking amazing when it's done properly, and then the four Supermen that come on after that to bring Superman back, that whole storyline, that would have been so badass to see that play out on screen. But what did they do? They took Zod's body in the movie, in Batman v Superman. They took Zod's body, and then they turned Doomsday. They created Doomsday out of fucking Zod. And then what happens? There's just this big fight at the end of the movie. There's no build-up to it. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And then he kills Superman. Superman hasn't even had time to establish himself in the world yet. Because Man of Steel just happened. This movie is set like six months after the events of Man of Steel. And Superman wasn't even known to the world until the end of Man of Steel when he fights Zod. So he hasn't been around long enough to, to be the champion of the people. To be this beacon of light for Metropolis and everything. He hasn't established fucking fuck all. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then they kill him already. What the fuck are you doing, DC? Okay. Let me see. Do, do I remember this right? Because it's, it's kind of coming back to me now. Yeah. They fast forwarded and at the beginning of just, uh, I'm sorry, uh, somewhere in there, all of a sudden Superman's being depicted on the news as a threat to an alien, a threat to the human race. And he's already a bad guy, which would have taken a long time in the. It was because of um, uh, what it was, was in Batman v Superman. Lex Luthor was spreading disinformation to make Batman think that Superman was bad. And he was playing them against each other, which is also another insulting thing. Because even though Lex Luthor is a genius, Batman is also a fucking genius. Mm -hmm. So it'd be one thing if it was a really well-written, played-out scheme. Mm -hmm. I could buy it then. But the way it's done is fucking Lex Luthor is just sending postcards and, and letters anonymously in the mail saying, See you, Superman? You did that. Yeah. He's a bad guy. Right. It's like, what the fuck? Who's writing this shit? Right. Little kids? But we're we're getting back to the thing that yeah. you brought up, which is uh, they'll plug in three minutes of uh, into a film. And mm -hmm. for you, you're like, I have 15 years invested into the, what you just did in three minutes. Yeah. So it's not working for me. And uh, this is what drives me bonkers. And how, that... and how dare you do that to me and do it yeah. that fast and well, betray yeah. me in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like I... I it, I'm pretty sure Mike's in agreement with this. I hate when people say, oh, you've, you've ruined my childhood. You've stolen my childhood. It's cliche and it, it's kind of bullshit. But in a way, it makes sense because there's something that you've grown to love and appreciate. And then someone just comes along and just, you know, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. It, it's so simple to do this properly. And there's even a, a way to do it half-assed better. And you're still not even doing it half-assed better. You know, you're just mimicking why is that happening in movies because it's about i think it's a, a symptom of the 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 system and it I, mean, I could get into the whole the whole world is like this now but it's but tell me about why in movies it, movies it's because it's all about the quick buck what it is is studios want to hire yes men directors and writers who just tow the company line 
and they're going to do however the studio wants it to be done for the most part. And they're going to pump out a product as quickly as possible because they don't, the studios for the most part don't give a shit about the subject material. They don't care. It's just their investment and they want that investment to pay tenfold, you know, keep paying and paying. Problem is, is that they're so short-sighted with it that they're not thinking about five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, like when you watch Spielberg films from the 80s, how they still play good today, right? They don't fucking see that. They do, they, they can't see that far ahead because everything is always about now. Immediate gratification. Yes, and it's always about now, now, now. But it's now, not now. for us, it's for them. <laughs> yeah, and so they're, 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 they're shooting themselves in the fucking foot without even either realizing it or just even wanting to pay attention to it, not even thinking ahead. They're, and so the fact that if they had actually slowed down and done this right and set up this whole entire massive DC universe. They could have made this so fucking amazing. And instead, we keep getting mediocre, mediocre, mediocre. Every once in a while, we get something decent, but then back to mediocre or shit again. You know, Joker was good. But if you put Joker, the movie Joker, in there with the DC extended universe, it doesn't fucking fit with anything they've already done so far. It's a good standalone movie. Right. But, and it's a cool what if idea. If this is how Joker was created. That's really, really cool. And it was so well done. But it still doesn't fit into DC stuff for the most part. Right. And that's what sucks about all of it is that it's a simple game plan. And if you can read an article in Vanity Fair about the things we're talking about and somebody from there is going to touch on these subjects, then it's pretty fucking transparent what's going on, really. Yeah. But Warner Brothers doesn't, they think that because, oh, they have their college degrees and, and business and whatever else they've done, you know, and they've, oh, they've got this on the resume and that on the resume, that they know better than everybody else. And so... They, it's look. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm on the outside. I'm way on the outside on this. But sometimes you need to be on the outside to see the whole fucking thing, and it just looks like shit. It just, what are you doing? It, you know, what are they doing? It, it's, it's, it's frustrating because also with other things too, you see that there's these, there's ways they can make money. Look, there's some franchises that it's a niche, right? So like with Tron or something, only certain people like Tron. So that's why you can't make too much Tron stuff because there's not enough people that want to go see it. That makes sense. I get it. Okay. Or like Judge Dredd or something like that. Well, thing is like with Judge Dredd, they fuck up too, because Judge Dredd is amazing. And they were going to make a TV show of that. Judge Dredd has over 40 years of material to grab from. And if they made that into a TV series, if they did it right, they could do, there's so much cool shit. I just started reading Judge Dredd and there is, they're doing shit in that, that thing that I didn't even know existed. Like I already saw that being done in like Star Trek and stuff afterwards. So Judge Dredd was already thinking of this shit beforehand. Right. And no one gives it any, cre well, not, I don't want to say nobody, but most people, especially mainstream, give it any credence at all. Right. No one even mentions it. So but, when I started watching comic book movies in the early 90s, they came out with the original, the first Crow. Mm -hmm. And I was like, they actually fucking got this right. Yeah. They got close enough to the mark. Mm -hmm. And then they brought it up and they got worse and worse. Oh, yeah. City of Angels. The only thing I can remember about City of Angels was uh, Iggy Pop. <laughs> and he did great in that. Yeah. That was the best part of the movie. Iggy Pop is good at playing no, a shirtless he, piece of shit. No, he was just playing himself, <laughs> yeah. you know. But how come back then they could get it right in one movie? And now with all the fucking money they have now, with all the people that they could get involved, how do you fuck that well, up? Here's another That's thing. really easy. Yeah, here's another thing. <laughs> If you actually go from, from start to finish, if you go from concept to actually finished product, all the things that have to fall into place to make a movie uh, successful creative-wise and financial-wise, economic-wise, there are so many things that have to fall into place. So, And anything can fuck it up. 
any wrong thing in that whole mix can fuck it up. Whether something's written wrong or you have the wrong producer in there, the wrong studio, the wrong actor in place, the wrong location they filmed it at, the wrong visual effects company, the wrong sound effects guy. There's so many different things can fuck it up, make or break a film. So when you actually get a finished product that turns out to be really, really good, that is like almost like a, it's not an impossibility. It's it's an improbability in a way. Because well, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. The problem is, is that, you know, on top of what Joe is saying, you have too many people interested or trying to get their fucking piece of information into the movie. Too many hands in the pie. Yeah. You have, yeah. you have producers, you have egos, you, you have these, these <laughs> underling producers, Adderall. you know, you know, interns or whatever the fuck they are that says, Oh, I got a great idea. And it's the son of, you know, the CEO or the CFO and like, Hey, my, my son's a writer. Can we put in his, inf- you know, this, can in, we get Roman this? Coppola in on this one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was going to bring up the Sophia Coppola he did thing. So in part three. good yeah. in Deadfall. Let's get him back. And you don't have, like, Steven Spielberg goes out going back to, like, the 80s. Not just Steven Spielberg. Let's go with Lethal Weapon because I'm tired of talking about Raiders and Star Wars. So we're going to go with Lethal Weapon this time. But you have, sorry, I had to check to see if we're still recording. You have one person that wrote Lethal Weapon. That's Shane Black. Yep. You have one person that directed the movie, Richard Donner. Or Joel Silver, one or the other. I think it was Richard Dunn. And then you have yeah, Donner, one person Donner did all that four. fucking produced it, Joel Silver. Yeah. And they they tightened down on that production with an iron grip. Nobody is going to be involved other than this person that's fucking writing it. Yeah, they probably had like some punch up and this and that. But Shane Black wrote the fucking movie. Richard Donner directed it. Nobody else is involved. This is how it is. And and you go from there. The same with Spielberg. One person writes the fucking movie, one person directs it, and one person is producing it. No other person is involved. Okay. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a weird comparison because Mike loves my weird comparisons. Beyonce. The bitch has 14 fucking writers. Can you remember the last song, the successful song she's had? Even though she's the most popular singer in the fucking world. Put a ring on it. No, she's had way bigger hits. I mean, she's had plenty of hits after that. You said the last successful song. Well, she, all of her shit's successful. Like, everything. And that, I mean, I'm just talking about memorable. Can you remember anything? Like, okay, that's the last song I, just, I can remember, right? Just said, yeah, put remember. a ring on it. But, I mean, she's made a shit. She still consistently makes a shit ton of money. <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? And she gets a writer's credit. But I guarantee you that that writer's credit out of 14 other fucking writers is probably, oh, let's change this word to that word or some bullshit. Okay? Mm. I'm not saying she doesn't work. Because she knows how to move her ass and well, maybe that, drink up the right kind of tea all, for her vocal that's cords. That's bubble gum kind of stuff. Yeah, you know what but I mean? that's what I'm saying is that you, you have all these fucking writers in there and then people just buy it up. They eat it up. Yeah. They eat it up. But then you go back. But there's quality. And you go back to... Eminem. You, you, yeah. the, the, the balance to that is Eminem. He writes his own shit. Yeah. And then, he has one producer. Yeah, he is an engineer. And that's I don't even like the guy, but you can't fuck with that guy. Yeah. yeah. He will fuck you up. No, or, or Metallica or, you know, yeah. name name successful bands that write their own music. And in some cases, like, you still have you still have successful bands Hanson. that were hiring Desmond Child. And we'll go with Aerosmith, right? Yeah. Aerosmith hired, uh, let's see, after Vacation, after Permanent Vacation album. Yeah. So they did uh, Fine, Fucked Up, Insecure, Neurotic, um, Emotional. That's... I think that's the next album or, or Pump, one or the other. I can't remember Pump, the name. Pump was because they had that the song that uh, the one I love on there. I, yeah, and they tell me what it takes. Yeah, yeah. From like from 
from I'm just going to say it, but I, I think I'm wrong. It could have been the the ones the one prior to this, right before uh, they all got back together as a group. When Permanent Perry... vacation was like they came out of yeah, it was hiatus. like yeah, because I think there was a huge gap between that their last album and then Permanent Vacation. You know that's funny. I looked it up recently, and there actually wasn't. Just nobody gave a shit about the album they made two years earlier. That literally, made, I, I could see that. That's probably yeah. Because I thought yeah. there was like ten years in there or like, something, and there wasn't. Your... Yeah, once they did fucking no, Angel, yeah. that's when they were back, dude. They did Dude Who Walks Like a Lady and Angel. Uh, Those always the, the, the successful rock albums. They always have a love song. It's gotta have so a love song. Draw the line. Oh, Night in the Ruts. So from Night, I'm gonna say from Night in the Ruts. This is when Joe Perry left. Is when they started hiring all these other these these. Um, I'm not gonna call them scabs. So every two or three Desmond years, Childs. Yeah. So they had done. Okay, so this one right here, done with mirrors. Technically, is when they all reunited. That's correct. And then Permanent Vacation. Now, there's some controversy with these two albums. Joe Perry and Brad Whitford did not play on Rock in a Hard Place. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Done with Mirrors and Permanent Vacation. Those were the previous guitarists that had been with the band. They were under contract. From what I understand, and I could be wrong, but those guys did not play on these albums with few exceptions, like this, the uh, solo for Angel or a couple of other things. Because you can tell the difference between Joe Perry and the guy that was playing in the band uh, prior to or when he left that took over for Joe. So from Night in the Ruts all the way through, they have had people like Desmond Child, who are songwriters, give them songs because Steven Tyler is doing this and that. And the other thing in time and, and writing music is is a is a an expensive, complicated process that they need to be able to just get the songs ready and get the songs done. That doesn't mean all of them. That just means like a handful of them. And most of them are the hits. So when you have Angel or uh, Ragdoll, hmm. uh, Pump, that was released right after that, which is Love in an Elevator. Janie's Got a Gun. Janie's Got a Gun. That was not written. God, they played that video to death on MTV when they used to do music videos. Yeah, I'm so sick of that. That, I, was, the, that was the end of the real MTV era was right in that time frame. It was coming to, yeah, because it just they started doing reality shows, quote unquote the, reality uh, what shows. What was the first one? Um, road, the real world, road route, the real world. And we were like, "What the fuck is this?" And then they had the spinoff, which was Road Rules, yeah. And, and yeah. But Mike, come to your point. What? What? Where are we going with this? Anyways, long story short is when you have any anybody that's involved, you're going to see a dilution of the talent. You know, the Steven Tyler is such an amazing songwriter. Him and David Lee Roth and, and a couple of others that, that that are able to write these lyrics that you can interpret any which way you want. It doesn't matter. And then you have like like. Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar writes schmaltzy bullshit. Like, he did. Some of the stuff he writes now is pretty good, but it's sh- it's schmaltzy. It's, we're going to have a good time and drink. 55? Yeah, we're, we're going to have a drink. We're going to go out and have yeah. fun and party. That It seems to fit with the everyday man. It does. That, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's the average Joe kind of shit. Yeah, that's, and then and then like if yeah. you if you look at some of the fucking lyrics from like Van Halen's Fair Warning where David Roth wrote Mean Street and Unchained and So This Is Love and Push Comes the Shove and this and that. And they they're all the same shit. It, but it's not schmaltzy. This this isn't um like Mean Street is is 
is just a fucking down and dirty. Dirty Movies is about porn. That's my favorite Van Halen song. That fucking song is about porn. It's about a... It's Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. That's exactly what that song is. Except the other side of that is like, if you look at 5150 or OU812, Source of Infection. Okay, we'll just... We'll use these two as as um, the... the uh, whatever. The scapegoats. So when you have a song called Source of Infection, you have Sammy Hagar doing a skit scat, right? It's okay. But then you look at dirty movies and you're just like, who's that babe with the fabulous shadow? Right. Like, okay, I'm fucking pulled in. What the fuck is a song right. is about, you know? Right. It's all right to me, but it, you know, it's all right to me, but it, to me it don't matter or whatever the, the, the lyrics are, right? And, you know, she's she's in a limo. She's, you know, doing dirty things and everybody back home, you know, go see that. Don't go see that movie because, hey, you know, your daughter's in this fucking movie getting railed. We're talking about lyrics and the kind of a feeling that's going to be photostatically copied into your psyche forever from the first time you hear it when you're nine years old you're yeah. like what is this? yeah but is anything why is this so exciting is anything in songs like that as creative uh, creatively compelling as wet ass pussy no no i apparently not but that you know what i'm saying it's just like you don't have to Where is that you don't have to def- <laughs> you don't have to be like out front and define uh, my pussy's wet you know <laughs> You can define it the way that these guys, um, fucking. You ain't seen nothing till you're down <laughs> on a muffin. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going with that. Which, which is, again, these guys that that can fucking spin a word. Dude, you can't catch me because the rabbit done died. That's yeah. a great fucking line. But I, that, I, I had to ask and that gr- song's about Joe Perry's wife. I had to ask. I had to, my mom. I think my mom or grandma had to tell me that what that lyric meant. It was like, oh, because they used to kill rabbits for for, for birth control. Yeah, for I mean, not for birth control, but for birth uh, for pregnancy tests. Yeah. So if the rabbit dies, you're pregnant. <laughs> well, no. Well, there's also the the chasing the rabbit. Yeah. You got to You know. You, you, well, or chasing. But see, the ghost. there's always the extra entendres with that shit, right? right. It's the it's the way that you interpret yeah. it. Um, it. For me, it's a disappointment going back to Van Halen. And, uh, is it fair warning? It depends. On what's what's, what's the one where uh, Dirty Movies is on? Because that's yeah, the fair warning. that's the grittiest darkest album that they had within the david lee roth era back then it's like not that it's pg but like a lot of times you can get a lot more out of a pg movie sometimes because it leaves more up to the imagination you have to kind of interpret or think about what they're really trying to tell you yeah and that's what was going on more so back then with a uh, a movie like dirty move uh, a, a song like dirty movies uh which is such a good song yeah and but you actually have to you have to actually grow up and go through that in life to actually finally interpret it 20 years later and go, oh, my God, I know what he's talking about now. Yeah. As opposed to nowadays, they're throwing a radio edited version of WAP in your face. Yeah. And you are and it's going to be around for five minutes, but it's blowing up all over the entire fucking it's world. Crap, dude. And it's making people probably millions of dollars off of one shitty piece of media right i i that's, that's can you uh, I'm dis- I, look I'm, I haven't been taking award ceremonies seriously for a long time now but could you is there any validity in the grammys anymore especially with i think that that wap performance that was done i didn't watch i don't i've never watched it you had time. two oh. chicks scissoring each other um performing the song during the grammys oh i heard about and the I, controversy it wasn't there like a like a quick throwaway uh salute to uh eddie yeah it, it was a big yeah, controversy 50, well look i i fucking award shows and and their in memoriam shit they only there was 
there was double or triple the amount of in memoriams that were requested and they normally do like 25 maybe 30 yeah. and they did like 40 or 50 in memoriams for this year from covid or what from people dying yeah that's how in memoriams work and and they contacted wolfgang and said hey we want you to come on and do like a fucking do eruption or something like that he's like nope no, I don't want to. I don't want to. That's my father's music. I don't want to play my father's music. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to. I'm not going to tarnish his legacy by coming on and playing a fucking solo that he he's done all his life. That's his music. He wrote it. I didn't write it. Like, I, you know, and then they wanted uh, other artists to come in and play. And then they they decided they're not going to do that because they don't want a repeat of what happened at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when um, Stone Temple, not Stone Temple Pilots, um, slashes a band with Scott Weiland. Okay. Uh, that's uh, Velvet Revolver. Yeah. So Velvet Revolver came up and they did run around and it was a fucking disaster, a complete disaster. And they didn't want a repeat of that. So they just went with what they went with. And I could see that. And people get all pissed off about, you know, the whole Grammy thing and Ed, you know, not being represented enough. But you have a show that's on for two and a half, three hours. And you need to cut down and whittle down the amount of time. The biggest controversy of that whole thing was fucking Bill Burr. They had Bill Burr <laughs> doing doing uh, Latin Grammy Awards. And he was being Bill Burr, and everybody gets all get all pissed off about it. You, you, hey, you can't touch Bill Burr because Bill Burr doesn't give a fuck. He's all fuck you. I was a Mandalorian, it, bitch. Exactly. <laughs> he doesn't even give a fuck. He makes fuck fun of Star with me. Wars. He doesn't even care about Star Wars. He stopped making fun of Star Wars after he got the Mandalorian role. Yeah, he got. He started that? to respect. He's like, I don't give a fuck about Star Wars. And John Favreau's like, you want to be in the Mandalorian? He's like, I kind of like Star his Wars. Wife, Star his Wars. wife talked him into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I saw that interview. But that's but that's that's what I'm talking about. Like you're talking about wet ass pussy, and we're talking about other like sweet emotion. Like if you listen to sweet emotion, at no point is there any real definition of what sweet emotion is. You know what the song is about? I do not. That is about Joe Perry's wife trying to hit on Steven Tyler and fuck him. And he basically said, "Get the fuck away from me! You're trash. You're you bought into this whole situation, and all you do is spend Joe Joe's money." And fuck you, you fucking. You know what's whore. funny is you bringing that song up. The meaning of that song in the movie "Be Cool," which is the sequel to "Get Shorty." I was just thinking about it. They when when Steven Tyler, who's in the movie, and he's talking to uh, John Travolta's character. Um, he says that you know Travolta tells him what he thinks the meaning of the song is, and Steven Tyler goes, "You're right, man. You're right." And he was talking about how it was he was the emotion, the sweet emotion he felt about his first daughter, Liv Tyler, being born, and and so I, I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying that that's what happened in the movie. It's in the script. Yeah, they're smoking cigars yeah. at the basketball game. <laughs> yeah, you did a pretty good Steven Tyler. Yeah, he's just, you know he's got that he's got scratchy voice. Yeah. I had to read his book because it was just laying around the house. I'm not even like a big Aerosmith guy, but. It, He's had a lot of shit to say. So my my my, but that song is also still relevant to today. I mean, they they used it in fucking Red. They've used it in a whole bunch of days and confused. The movie starts with that song. Yeah, that's a great movie. ZZ Top's Lagrange. They're using Lagrange in progressive fucking insurance commercials. That song's about. A whorehouse, right? Which was a, there was a movie based on it called "The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas" with Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. I still want to know? know how they didn't get sued by John Lee Hooker because he sounds like he's ripping off John Lee Hooker big time. Because because they acknowledge the fact that they their influences are John Lee Hooker and uh, uh, Muddy Water. I mean, even in the song, stuff. he said "how how how how," which yes. is John Lee Hooker. But you like, can't you you can't 
copyright a how 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 i would <laughs> you can't you can't you can't copyright a sound what do they call that now what is it um what do they call things where they're it's like uh like you can literally license something and they're like it's intellectual it's intellectual property, property. right what the fuck is that like i had an idea well an intellectual now it's just mine intellectual property has to be a physical tangible thing like video games or movies and things like that you know, I mean, digital, it could be digital as well, but it has to be something that you can use. That's what intellectual property is. I thought of it there and then I put it down on paper and I created this item. That's, you know, that's what it is. But yeah, I mean, saying like a how, 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 that's, that's a complete homage to Muddy Waters and they all, they all know each other too. So when he's doing the song and lyric and stuff like that, and he's like, well, this would work great because Muddy Waters would do something like that here because this is based off of a song that Muddy Waters did anyways with the, um, uh, it's based off of, oh my God, um, Mama Dunn told me, yeah. you know. And you said they know each other. So in a way, you're, you're tipping your hat to a, to a colleague. Yeah, but, uh, God damn it, what is that song? Clutch did the, Clutch did a version of it too. And they, they, uh, this song right here. Have you ever seen this commercial? Electric Worry with Clutch? So Electric Worry is LaGrange, Who's which is. Excelsior is this? Looks so crisp. A Muddy Water song based off of oh, Mike Tyson. Play the mic, <laughs> this song right here. Kinda, huh? The yeah. four and four. Yeah. What was the big head Todd? It was Big Head Todd and the Monsters that did. I, I just can't remember the stupid name of what the song that they did, and I have it. Big head um boom boom. There it is. So if you've heard boom, you've heard boom boom boom, boom 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 out go the lights. Yeah. yeah. Well, sort of. But that song Yeah. I didn't even know that Black Betty was originally an old ass song. Like I, I heard the original about a year ago, I think, and it like it sounds like it's on like a record. Like, yeah. a have old... you ever seen the fucking video for that? No, <laughs> it looks awful. Half the time we don't realize that we're listening to. Like I read Keith Richards' book, and uh, the Rolling Stones were it was it was Muddy Waters, and all those guys was the inspiration for everything they were doing. Yeah, you know, in yeah. the beginning. Same with the Beatles. Yeah. I'm going to have to cut this uh, short, guys. Okay. All right. So uh, next week? Oh, yeah. yeah. Same, so. same bad time, same bad channel. Sorry, 1977 yeah. is when that fucking song came out. I turned this on. No, you can leave it. Okay. Ooh. Thank you so much. All awesome, man. I'll see you soon. Huh? See, uh, yeah. see you next week. Thanks, buddy. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to coming back. All right. So uh, Tuesday? Uh, Tuesday? Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday whatever, is whatever great because I could stay here till as long as you guys want. Till the pigs come home? <laughs> as long as we need, as long as we want. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tuesday? Do you want to um, leave some of that for me, or okay? Yeah. <laughs> even the, even the <laughs> booze bottles. All right, guys, loving awesome. you, and talk with you soon. All awesome, right. man, thank uh, you. Let me know when it's going to be next. Uh, I, uh, the assumption. Tuesday, let's just go with Tuesday. The assumption will be Tuesday. What's a What's a good time for you to come? Uh, do you work? I mean, uh, would you work on Tuesdays? I do, but you know, I get off of work. Well, I'm I know, not but saying do, you, it, it do you want chill time though? I mean, a lot of people want chill time if they got work. Like you unwind. Guys tell me what time. And seven seven thirty. It can be seven seven thirty, and if it goes tonight on a Tuesday, that's fine. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. All right. So then we'll plan for seven seven thirty. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Awesome. All right, good night. Okay, bye.